And he cried with a loud voice, as when a lion roareth. And when he cried, seven thunders uttered their voices. Shazam! Geekish Chaos, episode 99, a focus on the original Captain Marvel, with Jeff Wright of ShazamCast.com. Welcome back to Geekish Cast. I'm your host, Jeremy, and today my guest is Jeff Wright of ShazamCast.com. How you doing, Jeff? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. Hey, thank you for coming on. For quite some time, I've wanted to get a original Captain Marvel expert or somebody who really knows the background of the character, so I really appreciate you taking the time to come on so we can kind of talk about that character in particular. I'm glad to do it. Yeah. So um, just to start off with, what got you into superheroes and comic books originally? Yeah, Batman. Um, yeah. He he was my gateway drug. I still love the character. Um, also, my mom is an avid reader, and mm-hmm. I spent a lot of time at used bookstores uh, with her. And, you know, there would be boxes of uh, un just old comics that I'd be rifling through and kind of fell in love with them that way as well. It was just something something associated with childhood that, that um, my mom and I did together that Never got out of my system. Okay. Well, then let me ask you, how how did you first discover the character of Captain Marvel or the Marvel family? You know, I went back and read just today, thinking about getting ready to do this. I read the the issue where I can I can say that's where I fell in love with the character. It's uh, I think it's 1992 Action Comics um, Annual Number Four. It's an Eclipso uh, crossover that's happening that summer, and I picked it up just to have something to read one day going to my grandma's house, picked it off a rack at a grocery store. Uh, and Superman gets taken over by Eclipso. The guy they call in is Captain Marvel. And I had, I mean, he was just completely off my radar. And so I was thinking, who is this guy that can go toe to toe with Superman? Um, I could tell there's a different art style to it as well. So there was, they were doing something different with him, the, the way they were presenting the other characters, and uh, that that started it, you know, and I just went from there. Was it like, now, I don't know if I'm familiar with that particular issue. Was he drawn in almost the C.C. Beck style, or I mean, what? do you remember what it was that caught your eye? Yes, like kind of chubby-cheeked and, and much more uh, retro. I think the, it was at the time that the power of Shazam was still going on, but it didn't even look particularly like that art now that I went back and collected that. I think it was a throwback to his more classic appearance. Okay. And the uh, Power of Shazam, that was Jerry Ordway, if I remember right, he did that. Yeah, that's right. That's kind of the great modern run. Yeah. Actually, I used to have, years ago, I used to have the hardbound first four or six books, I think is how they did that. And that was actually a really good series. Yep. Jerry Ordway is actually a really good writer and artist. Yeah, really versatile. I mean, he can do a lot of stuff. I I have... Kind of, I don't know how to book like high-profile guests, but I've hit him up on Twitter a couple of times. He's one of my dream gets for the Shazam cast. I'd love to pick his brain. That'd be a great guy to get on. Um, I'll tell you what, if I ever come across, a, if I figure out a way to land somebody like that, I'll let you know. That'd though. be great. 
Yeah. Um, so where did you get the idea from? Did you start? Okay, so you run ShazamCast and ShazamCast.com. Correct. Did you start with the idea for a podcast to talk about this character first or with a website? Kind of give me the genesis of getting the idea together and starting the website and podcast. Yeah, I encountered um, the Fire and Water podcast, and uh, I don't want to make any of your listeners mad, but I am the stereotypical uh, fan who doesn't think much of Aquaman, but I realized what they were doing on there, Firestorm was a character I'd found interesting, but I had never went out of my way to read. But those guys were contagious, and I thought, you know, if this guy can, if these guys can get me fired up about Aquaman and Firestorm, uh, maybe there's a way to do that. I don't want to compare myself to them, but I just thought maybe there's a way to kind of spread the love for Captain Marvel because I'm convinced he's he's such an important historical character. He's so inherently compelling. But he's just not uh, beloved in our day the way he should be. So I thought he deserves some attention. I would enjoy doing that. Maybe something will come of that, and that's where we will. Does that make sense? Okay. Absolutely, it does. Let me see here. So uh, what was the name of that podcast again? Mine? or uh, uh, Not yours. The- Fire and Water. Fire and Water. So, okay, so Fire and Water took a character you did like and one you didn't and made them interesting. So you thought that maybe there was a way to approach the Captain Marvel character like that. Absolutely. And what I found is I just jumped in. I created the the website and put together a little promo episode. And then I created a Twitter account and I met just pretty immediately uh, some guys on Twitter that uh, I realize there's there's a lot of people who would like to pay attention to this character more, and I think would like to put money toward this character, but uh, they're just looking for outlets to do so because there's so little that that the publisher offers right now. But there's a there's a robust community that I just happen to land in the middle of. Oh, I agree. And you know when I was when I was a little kid, um, DC had just acquired the rights. I don't remember if they were still leasing or if they owned the character at the time, but there were there was a comic book. And a TV series. Actually, there were two TV series back to back. So, even though DC had tried to kill the character once, they acquired it and then tried to do something with it. Um, but here lately, and let me know if I'm jumping ahead. They about ten years ago decided they were going to try to quit using the Captain Marvel name. Yeah. Which I don't know. I, I'm assuming you, as a fan, probably were not real big on that idea. You're absolutely it drives me crazy. I mean, you. In some ways, it's it's something like calling Batman Robin. Uh, it, you know, we we have a character named Shazam. He's really important to mythology, but you really mess things up when you start calling Captain Marvel Shazam. You know? Yeah. Um, did you? Ever, I can't even remember what artist it was, but somebody came up with the idea back in the '80s of reverting back to what was going to be Captain Marvel's original name, which was Captain Thunder. Yes. It sounded like you had a thought there maybe before I jump in. It was, it was one of those deals, like, the first time I heard it, I thought, well, that, no, let's not do that because we've got, we're dating back to the 1940s. We've got all this uh, legacy and, and heritage with the Captain Marvel name, but realizing they would punt it for Shazam, I now look back at that and go, well, maybe we should have seized the opportunity, you know, maybe that should have been it. Yeah. So now that you've started your uh, website and your podcast... 
Have you found people to be pretty receptive to uh, your show and your website overall? I mean, do you think you're finding an audience pretty easily? Yeah. Um, when I said a robust community, I should have also said a very welcoming community. People still love the character and are, are you know, there's no way for me to gauge this, but the fans that I have found who like identify through social media, I love this character, are some of the nicest people. Um, there's been two. One guy is a contributor on, or he has a subdomain off my Shazamcast uh, site. He's uh, he's become a friend. There's another guy who runs a, a vintage Captain Marvel blog now, and he's become a personal friend too. We correspond about things not connected to comics. And I, I think it's one of the best comic uh, communities there is out there, which is, again, a shame because there's so little material for them to kind of grab onto. Mm-hmm. Um, if you wouldn't mind, let's go ahead and um, let's kind of focus on your, your website and your podcast for a bit, and then we'll oh, delve sure. into the character. Um, so had you run a website before, or is this your first one? I have run uh, several websites. I I don't know that I want to say I've ran them successfully, but they're still in existence. Professionally, a couple that I've had to do, I've had a long-running, just a personal blog. And then um, mm-hmm. I also run a, another podcast called The Diet of Bookworms with my wife. We're, we just love to read, and we'll talk about books we're reading. That's a clever title, by the well, way. Well, I appreciate that. Um, yeah. So I, there's a there's a website connected to it, and um, I did WordPress blogs for all of those. And so WordPress is kind of my development platform. Okay. How hard did you find it to get your blog, uh, your podcast started? Well, I think WordPress is, uh, it has some really robust, uh, helps to guys trying to get started there. So I didn't find it particularly difficult. The plugins go in easy. The instructions, uh, are pretty quick, really finding hosting. Cause I was doing this and still am really on a very shoestring budget. So finding hosting that doesn't eat you alive uh, was the biggest problem I ran into. I had sort of this little Google Drive hack that worked for a while, and I've eventually had to move over to Amazon's content service. Uh, but that hasn't been terrible. So that that was really the only challenge. And have you found the – well, I don't know how, how often you've reached out to other podcast hosts or groups to try to get help. Have you had to reach out for help, and have you found them to be helpful or welcoming when you do that, or have you found more people to be kind of like not want to be helpful when you do that? Uh, I have only reached out one time, and the person I reached out to goes by the uh, internet moniker, the Irredeemable Shag, and um, he's connected to a lot of different podcasts and whatnot. I call him the, the comic book podcast, Johnny Appleseed. He was super helpful and just generous with his time and walked me through how to start doing interviews, again, on a shoestring budget where I'm, like, recording Skype conversations and stuff. Um, I'm just deeply thankful for him. So. Oh, that's excellent. How do you um, how do you record your Skype interviews? Uh, it's, a, it's a freeware program called Record Skype uh, Calls, and it's, it's up to, like, version 2.0. Oh, one or something like that. I have no idea where the uh, who I need okay. to thank for that, but whoever it is is doing me a wonderful service. But you think it's called Record Skype yeah. Calls? Okay. Um, I used a free one initially, and one of my other hobbies that I do is I create 3D assets for sale. Oh, okay. 
and I had a whole bunch of people, like, I think we had nine or ten people on the episode, and it looked like it was recording, and then I went to play it back, and when it was done, and there was nothing oh there. Oh, my gosh. So I went back, I went to uh, uh, Pamela for Skype, and I just, I paid, I, I don't even, I think it was 45 bucks, mm-hmm. maybe 50 I was just like, just to never have this problem again. Sure. It's, yeah, that's I'm, worth I'm it. I'm going to go ahead and bite the bullet on that one. I'm actually not familiar with that program. You said it's called Pamela? Pamela for Skype, okay. yeah. I will be checking that out. Yeah, it's um, so far I've been using it for about three months now. I'm pretty happy with yeah. it. Yeah. I, just, I, I have found that typically if you find the right place to approach other podcasters, they're very helpful. Yeah. Well, that with you and then then with Shag, those uh, that's certainly held true, and I'm uh, I'm very thankful for it. Like I said, it yeah. it it was sort of a new venture, uh, at least the recording and publishing thing. But uh, getting some help from some people sure helps you identify some potholes and and get out ahead of the curve. I think. Oh, absolutely, and there's there's a lot of holes you can fall in along the way, and I, I'm sure you've discovered them. Uh, stuff just from microphone settings to how to sound a little bit cleaner when you play your show back. And well, again, with the um, the uh, shoestring budget, I've yet to purchase some uh, microphone equipment. I, I need to, but it's just one of those deals with a budget. You know, I'm kind of waiting on it to kick up, and um, I spend a lot of time in Audacity trying to clean stuff up and, and whatnot. That's all stuff I've had to learn uh, as I've went. So, again, back to your question about the website. Probably just figuring out Audacity has been a bigger challenge than the website stuff for me. But I'm thankful there's that kind of open source stuff out there that's available. Oh, yeah, and I still use Audacity. I I have grown to like Audacity quite a bit. Um, so if anybody out there is thinking about starting a podcast and you keep coming across advice saying not to use Audacity, try it out. I, I think you'll be happy with it. I think it works pretty well. Yeah, I, you know, for what I'm doing, of course I could, I it could be better. But for what I'm doing, I'm I'm very satisfied with the options I have for cleaning up and you know releasing the content how I want. Yeah. So what what kind of microphone do you use? Just your laptop? Yeah, native. Yeah. What it, it sounds pretty good. Well, great. That's kind of you. I appreciate it. I I hope that's true for your listeners. Um, but yeah, that's that's what I'm on. Yeah, no, I mean, you sound pretty good right now. I'm not getting a lot of background noise or anything, so for a native microphone, you're not doing too bad. Um, all right, so let's um, let's go ahead and we'll talk about uh, Captain Marvel. Uh, we may or may not know, but tell us a little bit about how Captain Marvel got his powers and a little bit about his background. Now, Captain Marvel, uh, power-wise, is this interesting, pretty unique... Um, concept he is the product of patron gods who develop or who um through a mediator named shazam he's a wizard he kind of looks like the stereotypical uh depiction of uh merlin the wizard you know long white robe and white beard he is billy's uh captain marvel's alter ego billy batson's patron so he goes and recruits solomon hercules atlas zeus achilles and mercury and he takes traits from them so uh, Solomon gives him wisdom, uh, Hercules strength, Atlas gives him stamina, Zeus power, which is really undefined. It, it's often a catch-all for just whatever the, the rider needs him to be able to do. The courage of Achilles and the speed of Mercury, and that's delivered via uh, lightning bolt when Billy 
Batson, who's a child, speaks the name Shazam, and then he turns into this uh, Superman analog that is uh, billed as the world's mightiest mortal. Which is kind of just a thumb in the eye to Superman, isn't it? The mightiest mortal compared to the alien. Yeah, yeah, I think that's yeah. that's probably true. Um, so, I mean, did do you know, was the idea that Fawcett Comics had, was it just to create their own Superman? Or, I mean, has that ever been spelled out? Or is the comparison to Superman kind of spurious because all superheroes compare to Superman? Yeah, I don't think you can get away from him having some reference to Superman. But mm-hmm. I, I think I would argue that he is just an improvement on the Superman character. And I, I guess people, that may get people up in arms. I think Superman's a wonderful character. Obviously, his longevity's proven that. Uh, but in 3940, um, as Fawcett Comics is developing this character, they initially came up with the idea for a team of individuals who would have, you know, a power apiece. And they would... Uh, function together and then they decided well let's roll that all in together we'll call him Captain Thunder they had some difficulty getting stuff trademarked and and nailed down that way so he eventually becomes Captain Marvel Uh, so the the development was more organic and creative than just let's go do Superman Uh, obviously he's he owes a lot to Superman but it wasn't a straight ripoff right Um, so let me see if I can kind of gather my thoughts here. They started with the idea of a team, but they kind of ended up back with the idea of a team as well, didn't they? Certainly. They're, they're, um, if anybody out there is familiar with Captain Planet, the cartoon from back in the day, there was there's shades of that in Captain Marvel's origins. Right. And also, I think for people who may or may not know, Marvel Comics did not necessarily exist at this time. There was a company named National who became Marvel Comics. So the name Marvel was not in contest in any way, the way it would be now or in 1970 when this would come up again. Certainly right. Right. So uh, Billy Batson, as he is the champion of Shazam, brings in some friends uh, as he goes. Or it's his sister and a friend, right? Sister and a friend. That's another thing that is uh, pretty remarkable about Captain Marvel's uh, publishing history. He he develops into sort of a, 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 well, they call it a Marvel family very early on. So long before there's a Supergirl, there's a Mary Marvel. Long before there's a Superboy, there's a Captain Marvel Jr. And when you go back and look at sales figures, these these characters were selling like crazy. I mean, it's sort of famously known that at one point Captain Marvel eclipsed Superman in sales, but these supporting characters too in, in their titles took off and developed really rich um, mythologies independent of the original Captain Marvel who was thriving himself. Right. Well, to the point too, um, Elvis Presley's taking care of business logo was the Captain Marvel Thunderbolt with TCB written in a halo above it, or around it. And his later costuming choices were based on Captain Marvel Jr. Yeah, they've done some stuff, I say more recently, you know, post like 1980, where Captain Marvel Jr. is sort of into rockabilly music and things like that. I think they're kind of paying an ode back to Elvis. But yeah, it was popular enough that, you know, the most famous pop star of this era there... Uh, was 
integrating Captain Marvel elements into his stage look. I mean, this this Captain Marvel guy, he is he's really an important cultural icon. You know, if you if you oh, elevate pop culture to that level, he he's as important as they get. Um, also, I don't know. You may be too young to remember the TV show or even in reruns, but Gomer Pyle. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, and his exclamation on that show was Shazam, Shazam, Shazam. That's how prevalent the Captain Marvel character and mythology was in the zeitgeist of America. Yeah, actually, on the on the lead into my podcast, I have I just go back to like the Republic serials, which um, are these black and white movies that are the uh, they're the first movies made about superheroes. And it's Captain Marvel and the and the character saying Shazam. So I've got a sound clip of that. I've got Gomer Pyle. I've got, um, you know, probably riffing off of Gomer Pyle, uh, Dave Chappelle doing it. But, you know, you can just trace, you know, decades where people are still uh, resonating with this character, you know, calling out in reference to him. I think it's it, I think it speaks to the uh, the inherent narrative power of who this character is. Right. So, in, was it in the 1950s when National Peri- or uh, DC Comics decided to sue? 1950s. I'm trying to remember exactly what the date is. Um, I mean, the date's not that important, but it's somewhere between 55 and 65. Yeah, it's right when that first golden age of comics begins to wane. And I know by the right. by the 50s, uh, there's a British version of Captain Marvel that's being published over uh, oh, man. Marvel Man, Miracle Man. So, yeah, you're right in that right era. Yeah. Actually, there were two that the same the same artist, and this will be kind of an off the side. He did two. It was Mick Anglo was the artist, and at the time, whatever company he worked for, he himself had the rights to doing Captain Marvel or Shazam stories in the UK. And when he lost it, he basically went back and started tracing the old stories with the new characters in place thereby creating what we know now as Miracle Man throughout the 80s and 90s, or Marvel Man as he was in the UK. There's another one whose name I don't remember. Uh, But the basis of DC's lawsuit was that, hey, that's our character, you stole our character. Yeah, and and you were right. It's 1951 when the the final verdict, uh, I think, comes in. And uh, my read on it is that comic books were in decline, and Fawcett didn't think it was quite worth the cost it would take to defend this character and sort of took the easy way out because they thought comic books had ran its course. And um, I've got a long write-up on my blog about this. I don't want to spend too much time with your listeners there. If they're interested, they can, they can come look it up. But um, I don't think that case holds water in the least bit. I don't think they're – in modern trademark and copyright disputes, I don't – I don't think you could win that verdict again today if you tried, but that's what happened. And so he goes into the dustbin of history, you know, and he sits there basically till two decades later when DC dusts him back off and brings him out. Mm -hmm. Well, and also, like you were saying, comic books weren't just in a decline. Superhero comics were not selling. Sure, sure. Post-World War II, I mean, a few years after World War II wrapped up, you couldn't give away a superhero comic. I mean, Batman and Superman barely stayed afloat. And to do that, they made them uh, sci-fi comics, really. Yeah. Um, that was kind of the golden, or I'm sorry, the golden age of comics. I can't ascribe a date to its end, but we can, 
I think that the argument can be made, like you were saying, that superhero comics aren't selling. Captain Marvel isn't selling like he used to. I don't have the money to afford this. We need to print Westerns and war comics and sci-fi comics. Yeah. Well, I, here's what I'll submit to you. The end of the Golden Age, sure. Marvel Family, which is kind of the last Captain Marvel title in publication, ended in January of 54. And so that, that there you go. I'll, I'll tell you, that's where the Golden Age, in, Golden Age ended, at least in my heart. Right. And then in the mid-60s, of course, they bring back The Flash. And all of a sudden, superhero comics start selling again. Yeah, and you know, I told you earlier that I I got the bug for comics in part kind of going and rifling through back issues and used bookstores. For me, I, there was a lot of Marvel there because around the the time that those bins were um, sort of the content they were delivering back out as used uh, submissions, it was during the Marvel heyday. So of course I'm you know I love what I'm reading there. But the uh, the DC characters always had a special allure to me because I could I knew they went back further, that they had deeper right. roots and and that there was a history there that was beyond uh, Marvel mania. And so over the years I've moved to uh, to a pretty pretty committed DC guy after having spent a lot of money and a lot of time with Marvel because of the deep roots that they can offer going back into the golden age. Oh sure, and the way I've always said, I mean I love superheroes. But if you get into the ones that I really love, they're typically DC comics. Mm. The way, and it's not always true, but the way I kind of delineate between Marvel and DC is Marvel writes stories about the people in the costumes, and DC writes operas about costumed heroes. That, to me, is, it's not even that clean. It doesn't always work, but there's a legacy and a style and a, a hugeness to the DC comics. And there's a animacy to the way Marvel does it. Yeah. At least that was the way I always, I think, it. I think that's well said. I, I have a friend online who, who, um, uh, runs a, uh, a multiple podcasts, uh, black canary one that the names escape me right now, but he says, um, DC characters would be heroes no matter what happened. You know, that, drop them into any context, they're going to be heroic. And Marvel yeah. characters kind of default to flawed hero, circumstances have to be right. You know, it, it's a version of what you're getting at there, and I think you're, I think you're right. Yeah. And that's, that's the way I, I mean, I would feel about the same way, you know. Um, so in the 70s, though, uh, not to get us too far sure. off track, but in, was it 1970 or 1971, they dust off the main Captain Thunder. Yeah. And and put Superman. I actually had a reprint of this comic when I was a little kid, and I loved it. Uh, they put Superman versus basically a Captain Marvel analog named Captain Thunder, yeah. who gets his powers. Well, you know, I'll let you tell it because I'm sure you you're going to be a little more knowledgeable about it than I am. So why don't you give me this a little depth on that story? Well, they the the setup you just mentioned is absolutely correct. This. Um Captain Thunder character comes out of nowhere, gets into conflict with uh, Superman, and he. This is one of the most recent episodes that I've covered on my podcast. Um, he's he's obviously Captain Marvel. He um, he's going back to that original proposed name, Captain Thunder. Um, his alternative character is not Billy Batson; it's Willie Fawcett, hearkening back to Fawcett Publications, getting as close to Billy as you can without using Billy. Uh, the only real difference for him is that he 
his power set is donated by Native American um, deities. I'm not sure the correct terminology, but Native American figures. I think there's a prominent chief in there as well that um, you know gives him his powers. But that's basically the only change they make to him. Um, it's a it's an interesting title. He and Superman eventually kind of resolve their conflict, become friends. By the end, um, Captain Thunder is sent back to his home dimension by uh, Superman giving him a super uh, full Nelson, which, you know, it's just one of those because it's comics moments. And he's off to his other dimension. That's kind of the end of the story. But uh, it, it's a fun read. It's a fun read. And you can tell they're trying to get people um, – they're trying to create a mental space for these people to to start thinking about the character again. Right. Because DC actually went to, I don't know if Fawcett was still in business or if they were still like uh, an entity at the time, but they leased the character and the family of uh, Billy Batson and Captain Marvel from Fawcett Comics or whatever entity was left of it. Yeah, Fawcett was by and large uh, historically a magazine publisher, and had gotten into comics to kind of capitalize on this new market. So I think the vestiges of their magazine, at least distribution, was still around. So they could make a little money off this character. And that, that's how DC initially got a hold of the character. Um, right. And then eventually they just flat out bought him, right? Yeah, they eventually ended up just buying and take, uh, having the rights. Um, but one other thing on the Captain Thunder issue... Oh, I'm sorry. It's okay. I just thought it, it's an interesting little factoid. There was an interview with Jerry Ordway on uh, We Talk Comics. It's probably been it may have been it may have been as much as a year ago, but Ordway on there talks for just a little while about his power of Shazam run, and he says with Captain Thunder they were looking to bring that character in as Captain Thunder. That this wasn't just intention to be a one off, but that they were trying to do something. Not not sure if they could get the the uh, the Captain Marvel character in, even with the licensing. So they were going to try Captain Thunder. And uh, that's just an interesting factoid that they were, they were thinking even back then about naming issues, rights issues, how to use the character. And as I mentioned earlier, in hindsight, knowing they would eventually try to rebrand him as Shazam, I kind of wish the Captain Thunder game, but it worked. Right. Well, and, and now the difference between 1970s and the 1939, 1940, Marvel Comics exploded sure. in the 1960s. So now that name Marvel is contested. Yeah, and the the um, the copyright hasn't been maintained, and so the you know the Stanley uh, mind triggers and says it, it has the name of our company in it. We ought to do something with this. So they create their own Captain Marvel to to kind of pull it under their heading. It's a brilliant move by them, but man, if I had a time machine, <laughs> I would like to go yeah. back and uh, change some stuff. So we'll just kind of do some quick catch-ups. For some reason, I mean, I think in the 70s they gave it as good a try as they could have. They gave him TV shows. Uh, they had him guest starring in comic books. I believe, if I remember right, when I was a little kid, there was a power or a something-something of Shazam, the original Captain Marvel comic mm -hmm. in the 70s to early 80s. So he was around. He was. The, the problem in... I've, I've done a little bit of this on my podcast, so if anybody's listening to both, forgive me for being redundant. Um, but the problem that I think they made is that uh, they tried to paint – I say paint. That's a little too literal. They Their art choice for Captain Marvel was 
throwback to the 40s. And I think as soon as you put him next to this cartoonish-looking character next to a Superman who's being drawn, I don't know if realistic's the right word, but he's he doesn't look cartoony. He's rippling with muscle. He looks much more serious. I think you you tell fans this is uh, nostalgia. You know, there's not anything going on here except just sort of throwing a bone to yesteryear. And I think that just handicapped the character right off the bat. They ended up making an art change on that original Captain Marvel book that I think was titled under Shazam. And original Captain Marvel was sort of the byline. They made an art change on that, but they did it one or two issues before it ended. Just too little too late. And I think it's hamstrung. I mean, the character should have a rich, nostalgic tradition. He's, you know, that's a good thing. But I think they kind of consigned him to irrelevance with their their art choices. And maybe I'm overestimating it, but it's a pretty stark contrast. If you can get, you know, Google search that image for that first Shazam number one. uh, Well, did C.C. Beck come back and draw that? Am I remembering that wrong? I think Beck was entirely... Well, I don't want to speak. I don't know for sure. Yeah. It was definitely done in his, his style. style. Yeah. Yeah. And we're talking at a time when Neil Adams was exactly. drawing. Yeah. When the big selling books were Neil Adams books. Yeah. And for people who don't know, I don't have any right around, but Neil Adams has a very realistically rendered art style. Mm-hmm. And that was the in vogue look at the time. Yeah. So the, you got him standing uh, out in contrast right away. Again, maybe I'm wrong in that, there was a narrative problem or the the character just didn't grab people's imaginations anymore. I, I just can't believe that because of how long he's lasted historically. I think that art choice was pretty fatal. Yeah, that could be, you know, it, things are so fickle. Yeah. You know, things are so fickle that some small thing can kill something and you'll never even know that that's what caused it. Yeah, and, and no. we see, um, I think today what looks retro looks more authentic to us. We kind of put a, we put a value on that. I'm not entirely sure that was the case a few decades ago. I think maybe we viewed those things differently and Captain Marvel suffered. Oh, yeah. Well, and you got to remember like our dads didn't hold on to their comic right. books. You know, when my dad was 40, he, you could bet your ass he wasn't filling long boxes anymore. Yeah. You know, yeah. me, I am. So, I mean, there's, there's a big difference there. So, the retro market, well, let's just let's just figure the math. So it was 1954 was the last book published with Captain Marvel, and 1974-ish was the next book. And there's no change so, in the art style, basically, between those. You know, the character never really yeah. develops. So an eight-year-old kid who read that last book is now almost 30 years old, mm-hmm. uh, probably just got out of Vietnam, is not going to buy a Captain Marvel comic, I don't think. No, that's a great point. And then if you're a young fan, this literally is your father's Captain Marvel, which isn't always a great selling point. No. I'd say that's actually a really good point. You know, as a kid, you might be into something your grandfather was into, but you're sure not going to be into something your dad was into. Absolutely. Particularly if you, I mean... His adventures are not particularly um, realistic either. You know, they're they're kind of throwback to some of the goofiness of the golden age. Um, not as bad Talk, as talking tigers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
um, uh, you know, the evil genius is sometimes a worm. Sure, and if yeah. and even you know his big baddie is a, a mad scientist, but it's not a guy who's sort of uh, intimidating the way Alex Luthor is. This is a shriveled up little guy who's played for comic relief quite a bit. I think some of that, if comics, if my reads are right and comics are shifting towards a more realistic, uh, uh, whatever you want to describe, motif, however that can be applied to the comic book medium, that's just a bad look, you know? Yeah. Um, well, since we're talking about his villains, I can tell you, I'm sure you're going to know where I'm going with this, he actually has one of my favorite villains of all time, and that's... Black Adam. I remember as a little kid, I don't know if you're old enough to remember the Viewmaster toys. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, where it had a wheel that you put in and you click through. I had one that was the story of the Marvel family versus Black Adam. And to me, especially when I'm younger, to have a villainous version of your hero, just an outstanding and inspired thing, you know? I am a sucker for palette swaps. You know, going back to Mortal Kombat the first kind of video game I can remember really getting diehard over Sub-Zero and uh, Scorpion, Scorpion, you know? Uh, uh, so, yeah, you're right. And that, that's kind of innovative on their part. That there's this, uh, on the Captain Marvel mythology part, that there's this um, predecessor who's everything you are, but who basically lost the job for being evil. Here he is. What yeah. do you do when somebody is just as powerful as you are? And it's in the family. You know, he's... He's in the same family tree, so there's no getting around it. And and it's probably Black Adam right now is maybe I don't want to say it's the property associated with Captain Marvel that's most popular, but it's the one that gets the most play. And I mean, The Rock is running around wearing Black Adam gear. Uh, it's going to get attention, you know. Oh, absolutely. Well, and Black Adam was actually he hasn't always been evil in the recent runs of DC Comics either. He was a a big member of the Justice Society for a while. Sure. Um, well, let's let's go ahead. I mean, because we're gonna, I, just, I I could talk about this for three hours. But um, so in the modern era, I know um, they've tried a few different things with him, but none of them have really worked. I mean, they put him in Justice League International, him being Captain Marvel, that didn't really hold. Mary Marvel held up a little better in the Justice League stuff. But that was played for laughs. Um, Captain Marvel Jr. was kind of played for laughs in the Teen Titans during the period he was in there. Back around uh, 2005 or six or seven is when they decided they were going to make Billy Batson the wizard, Freddie Freeman into the hero who was now going to be Shazam. Do, do you watch uh, the Rocky movies? Are you a fan of the Rocky movies? Yes, I am. That whole period right there is the Tommy Gunn Rocky for me. I just I want to be able to erase that from my memory. I thought it was wrong-headed. I, I appreciate it. I think most of that was Judd Winnick, and I appreciate that he was trying to do something to freshen up the character, but I thought yeah. it was just misfire, misfire, misfire. And you know he was given an edict. An editor said, hey, make this work. Yeah, yeah. yeah he's got to do it. You know what really blew this period apart, though? It was right at the same time that Jeff Smith from Bone oh, uh, sure. Bone Fame had just done what might have been the greatest Shazam comic of fifty years. Sure, that's a wonderful run. Uh, yeah, and so I guess really this gets to what I think is most important about the character. 
he it, I mean comic books are about wish fulfillment to some degree. You know, they're not only about that, but that's that's a big part of what the appeal is. A guy who can say a magic a kid who can say a magic word and turn into Superman is the most ultimate wish fulfillment um scenario that I can think of. And I I think that plays across multiple generations, multiple stages of life. You can enter into the the uh, sort of escapism of, of that premise, and that that series uh, that you're referencing, I think that is such a clear demonstration that not only does this character work in what we would consider more adult or traditional kind of comic book roles, but man, it's ripe for bringing kids into the comic book medium. Use that as the way you bring in new readers. Uh, why that yeah. wasn't seized on more fully. Or, I mean, I guess they tried. Uh, I, I would still be trying to do that if I was an editorial. He's a great gateway character. Oh, absolutely. And that, that Jeff Smith art style yeah. and storytelling works so yeah. well with that. Um, but now again, well, we'll cover this real quick, and then we'll talk about hope hope for the future, because i got to let you go shortly after that. You're being very generous with your time, though, so I do appreciate hey, it. Hey, I, I can talk about this as long as you want, so thanks for the chance. <laughs> <laughs> no problem at all. Um, so I think, you know, you're going to have to forgive my language a little bit here. I think DC realized after that Shazam run where they made Freddie Freeman the hero Shazam, I think they realized they shit the bed. And they kind of just kind of went like, oh, well, maybe that's not what happened. Um, so then they've decided that Billy Batson is now a superhero, and I think they did this with New 52. Mm-hmm. Where Billy Batson is back as the hero, but the hero's named Shazam, and he wears a cloak, and he looks a little weird. Yeah. Um, I, I I have to tell you, and I'm not shy about this, I hate the New 52. Sure. I hate it. Um, they lost me right away. So I am not up on the Shazam stuff that happened with New 52. So I'm going to have to lean on you kind of heavily here. Well, um, it was... It was a misstep from the very beginning. So I was talking earlier about how this is the this is the most immediately accessible and enduring wish fulfillment scenario you can give a character. Like even with a with Batman. So if we say Batman's appeal is that if I were smart enough and born with enough resources, I could be Batman. You, you just say a magic word if you're Billy Batson and become this super powerful character, right? that's awesome. That's wonderful. Kids sign up, you know, kids would sign up for that all day long. But when they, they released the new 52 version of Captain Marvel, the title of the story was the curse of Shazam. And they take it, they take it just off the rails. It's, it's lunacy to style it the way they did. And, and, um, the early creators of Captain Marvel, particularly, uh, his first creator, saw Billy Batson as very much the hero of the story. Billy was a noble-hearted kid who had a had a moral compass that took him in the right direction. He was altruistic. He was optimistic. He, he was actually a, a an orphan who basically lived on the street, but it was orphan with a heart of gold was sort of the premise of Billy Batson. Well, this Billy Batson is uh, not just a streetwise tough, but he's he's so hardened to life on the streets that he he lashes out against everyone who tries to help him and uh is immediately in conflict with lots of 
characters that are sympathetic because he's brought into sort of a um, a foster situation with other kids who are disadvantaged. So right from the beginning, Shazam is this weird character that's a curse, and you don't even like Billy Batson. And you come away going, what is, what's the appeal here, guys? What are you actually trying to get me to buy with this kind of presentation of this character? And why, why throw away what has obviously worked uh, that, that fans have stayed interested in despite long droughts of publication? You know, why, why take this turn? So I joined you in being super disappointed with the whole project, but particularly what they try to do with the Captain Marvel character and what they call Shazam. Right. <clears throat> so let's go ahead. Let's let's uh, let's let our conspiracies wave for a moment. Is DC Comics trying to kill the character? Have they spent forty years systematically wearing him down, or are they just really bad at figuring out what to do with him? I I don't know. I mean, a, a cynic a, a cynic I think has to say, yeah, they just want to ruin what they have there because he's a competitor to. Um, you know, he he plays the same role as as Superman. The thing is, they keep trotting him back out. They, there's a major movie that you know at least is connected to him through the Black Adam and The Rock right now. Yep. And Jeff Johns keeps saying how much he loves the character. Um, he he wrote the uh, the Curse of Shazam, so he you know he's this is a personal project of mine. But my word, uh, can he not figure out the character? So. I, I think it's bumbling. I don't think it's loathing, but on a bad day, every time I kind of hear some new idea they trot out, I think, yeah, okay, I'm wrong. They hate, you know, they hate the character. They hate the fans who like the character. They just want to be done with it. Yeah. Well, I was thinking um, back when Rebirth and all that was announced, and Joff Johns was announced as the guy who was going to be in charge of it. I was like, oh, hey, you know, maybe they'll finally. Oh, that's right. He already. He already kind of did his damage to the Shazam property itself. Mm -hmm. So even that kind of let me down. Is there a creator out there you would like to see put in charge of that character? Yeah, the the guy for me is Doc Shaner. He wrote um, the Convergent storyline for um, DC not too long ago. And he he his art is beautiful, but he also catches he's not a he's not ashamed of the nostalgia of the character. But he doesn't trap him in just nostalgia. This is a character who can kind of live in both worlds. And then um, there's the Thunderworld series that came out earlier than that. And the Thunderworld series was great. It's a better version of like a modern take on Captain Marvel um, than Shaner's work even. So I would be happy with either one of those guys uh, handling the character. But maybe it's because Jeff Johns thinks he's a fan of the character. I don't know that they're trying to hand him off. Um, the creator there uh, in Thunderworld, the art was done, at least on the cover, by Cameron Stewart. And the um, I'm trying to – I can't remember off the top of my head who the author was. I'm trying to pull that up. But he uh, he's, a, he's a vibrant character in both of those worlds and I think would continue to sell because – both Convergence and Multiversity uh, Thunderworld number one sold like hotcakes. So there, yeah, there's a way to do the character that's market relevant, but DC can't figure out how to get the right people on it. I guess. Right, that's kind of what it sounds like. Um, 
I take it you were probably a fan of Kingdom Come, though. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah, you want, you want to talk about using that character properly, but in a dark way. There you go. Yeah, absolutely. And and giving him a relevance in connection to um, to Superman. You know, he has a relationship to Superman there that doesn't make them feel like they're occupy, trying to say, occupy the same space. Right. So, and just because I forgot something, it was Grant Morrison who did the, uh, the Thunderworld. Thunderworld. You're right. Yeah, I should have known that. I just wasn't wasn't. Oh, I should have known it for sure. I, it just skipped my head there. Yeah. All right, Jeff. Any uh, any parting thoughts you have on the character or anything at all? I I, I just want to say to anybody who's not taking a look at him, um, go pick up. There's a two issue convergent series that Shaner did. Pick up Thunderworld if you've not looked at those, and give the character a shot. And uh, if you find something there you like, um, I mean, this sounds sort of too much like social justice, but if you can advocate for them on social media, I think DC needs to be informed that they've got a property that could make money there, um, but they probably need to be made more aware of that. The second thing I would say is I love Captain Marvel, hanging on the name Captain Marvel. Also want to mention though the Marvel Comics version. I think what they're doing there with Carol is great. I think those are great stories, a great character. Um so there there's no shade thrown across over to the others as much as I wish DC still had the Captain Marvel name. Uh I think you can enjoy both. And I think even there's a world in which the two characters could have the name and comic book fans are smart enough to figure out which is which and track down. And so I, I just throw that idea out into the popular consciousness. Maybe someday it'll grow up to uh, some kind of fan interest movement. Well, and this is the day and age. I think uh, property owners realize that fans are a lot smarter than we were given credit for for a long time. Yeah, you've got multiple characters under the code name Spider-Man. You know, Thor swaps gender. Fans are smart. They're not not going to be uh, too dumb to figure out how to buy the character they want, so... It's it's a pipe dream, but I'm going to keep it alive as a dream that someday I would see a Captain Marvel book under that title. Yeah, well, it's important to you know keep hope alive too. Yeah, it 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 is just uh, it's blind hope, but I, I guess I am going to keep the fire stoked. Well, there's something to be said for faith. Yeah, you know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, Jeff, if people want to find you, your website, find you on Twitter, why don't you give us your uh, your handles and whatnot. Yeah, shazamcast.com. Uh, we're on iTunes. It's basically the place to find uh, the episodes I release. I mentioned earlier, I'm, I'm behind on that, so bear with me. I'm hopefully going to pick that back up. And I do try to be active on Twitter at, uh, it's at the Shazamcast. There's also a Facebook uh, page for the Shazamcast that you can find there, too. Okay. Do you know the address for that yeah, off just, the top of your head? Yeah, it's the Shazamcast there as well. Okay, facebook.com slash the Shazam right, right. right. Hey, Jeff, well, thank you very much for joining us. I do really appreciate it. Thanks for the chance. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, and in the meantime, guys, you can find me at geekishcast.com. I'm on Facebook at facebook.com slash geekishcast. I tweet from at the geekishcast. We're on iTunes, Stitcher, all of that, so uh, keep your eyes open. You'll find us. So long, everybody. <laughs>